Well, I want to jump right in today. Um, if you were as blessed as I was growing up, if you were blessed uh, with, a, with a healthy family, a good family, not everyone was given that gift, but uh, if you grew up in a healthy family, in a healthy household environment, you probably experienced this thing called the family talk. Anybody have that joy? Uh, as a kid, you probably rolled your eyes whenever mom or dad said, hey kids, uh, we need to meet in the living room. We need to have a family talk. Uh, also, maybe if you were a friend at someone else's house when the family talk happened, that is uncomfortable and awkward. Anybody ever been there? You're at your friend's house and mom and dad need to have like an emergency meeting with the kids. That's never fun. But have you ever experienced the family talk? No? Well, good, you're about to. Uh, we are going to have by all intents and purposes, and a family talk where we're just going to look at something that needs to remain so core and so crucial and that we have to fight the drift. One thing I found in my own life as a kid, uh, whenever our family had a family talk, it was the result of our, usually the kids, my brother and my sister and I, somehow losing sight on something my parents had deemed was central to who we are as a family. And so anytime they would gather us together in the living room, it was usually for my father or my mother to reinforce a family value that somehow we have indicated to them that we had lost sight of. Now, I'm not going to color in the stories or the lines as to why my father had to gather us together. But in the same way, I want as a church to spend today just having a type of family talk where we are going to just uncover something that must remain central. Now, if you're just visiting today and you're that friend, you're like, uh, this is going to get awkward. I, I promise you it's not going to get awkward. Uh, you might find that you become part of the family before this series is over, and that's our hope for you. But if you'd permit us as a family, we believe we're a family, amen? as a family to have a conversation about something that we have got to not only take seriously, but we have to fight the potential drift from it. One thing I've found in my own life, especially in my life of faith, is that I don't drift towards holiness. And I don't drift towards the things that God calls me to do. You ever notice how easy it is to sin? No one had to coach you to do that, did they? You just kind of drift towards it. It's in us, isn't it? But when it comes to living the life of the kingdom and living the life that Jesus demonstrated for us to live and, and holding fast to the values that Jesus died for us to hold fast to as a family, I find that I don't drift towards it. In fact, if I'm not intentional, I drift from it. And it's so amazing how good things can rise up in the place of the main thing. And so it's important for us to pause every so often and say, what is the main thing? What is the thing that is so crucial and so central that if we don't get that and if we don't have that as priority that everything else is for naught and everything else is going to be off kilter, what is the main thing? I want to have a talk today about something so crucial and so central that if we don't hold fast to this thing and this value as believers and as a family, we in effect have no, we no longer are being the church. I want to talk to you about our ultimate priority it, it, it supersedes so many things that we call important. We call many things important. We have code around here. We have actually 10 values uh, around here. There are things that we value when we come together. We value learning and we value growing. We just did a four-week series on growing. We, we value prayer. We value the prophetic. We value seeing the miraculous in the here and now. Amen? We, we value music and worship and we value education and discipleship. But if this one thing, if this one thing 
everything falls down beneath these other good things, the church no longer is operating as the church. I want to talk to you today about the mission, the mission of the church. I find it so easy in my own life as an individual and in my life as a pastor and as I've done my best to shepherd our church, it's so easy for good things to rise up and grab our focus and cause us to drift off of the main thing. I want to talk about mission. We are a people of mission. We are a people on a mission. As believers, as individuals, and as a church, we have one ultimate task. As people who have given their lives to God and said, God, be glorified in my life, we have one ultimate task, and that is this. We have, this is how we say it around here, we have been sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. That's our mission. In this life, it's more important than how much we learn about the Bible, as important as that is. It's more important than, than, than how much supernatural and miracles and healing that we see, although that's important. It's more important than our worship and how we sing songs and gather together. It, this is the ultimate task that Jesus himself gave us. It is this mission. We have been sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. That is the mission of the church. We have a purpose to see that all people in all places embrace the life-giving power of King Jesus. That is why we are here. And everything else we do funnels in service to that vision. Every hour we give, every prayer we pray, Every song we sing, every sermon we preach is ultimately contributing to seeing that all people in all places embrace the life-saving, life-giving power of King Jesus. Everything we do. The church has a mission. The mission, better said, has a church. That's to see souls saved. As God's people, as, as lovers of God, if we are really going to serve him with one heart, then what happens is, the love for God will overflow into the commission, the, this mandate to see the world saved and reconciled to God. And if a church loses sight of the mission, it becomes out of alignment with the very heart of God. If you find yourself in a church that has lost sight of the mission, if you find yourself in this church that has lost sight of the mission, leave. Because it is no longer the church it is a social club under the guise of Christianity. If your church is not seeing people far from God being reunited and reconnected to, into new life in Jesus, it is not a church. It is a fraternity. It is a fellowship. Don't call it a church. The church has a mission. The mission has a church. And it's so easy to drift into good things. How many times, have, I mean, it, maybe this is your first church and you're still getting a feel for this whole life of being a Christian. It's complicated. We're not, we're a family. That means we've got crazy uncles and weird cousins and all that stuff. It's complicated and it's so easy when you start to walk the walk. And many of you have been part of the church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You've seen how seasons come and go and how easily and simply the church can become about something that is not mission critical. 
And we'll take a good thing, a God thing, and we'll say, we're going to focus in on that and we'll lose sight of the mission. I've been in churches and I've been in seasons where, where worship, we're just going to really focus in on worship and worship is a good thing. But if, if you as a church are not living to see souls saved, then I would suggest you are not worshiping the God who died to see souls saved. I've been in churches and been involved with great mission where we are serving and loving the poor. And we do that here. I want to celebrate this past week. We gave away, uh, in the last 10 days, we gave away uh, 800 backpacks to kids all over the city of St. John. We bless them because why? Jesus is of God who blesses and he gives to the poor and he cares about the poor. And we care about the poor. But Jesus would say, you know how easy it is as a church to get consumed in giving to the poor but not giving them the one thing that they really need, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've been around, I've been involved in churches that were so caught up in doing good things, but not the one thing that Jesus has commissioned his church to do. And all of a sudden, the means becomes the end. I've been involved in seasons where we were seeking and desiring to see signs and wonders. I'm still there. I want to see more. I want to see more healing and more miracles happen in my day. I don't believe God's changed. I don't believe that when I read Acts, that was just a special time and a special season. And we at this church contend for miracles. We believe in a miracle work in God, don't we? But when the sign becomes the destination, that becomes a problem. When it starts to be our sole purpose that we just want to see the kingdom of heaven break in and experience that. Well, we want to see the kingdom of heaven break in. Why? So people see it and they will know that Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins and they will repent and be saved. That's why God heals. Did you know that? Jesus healed the paralytic to demonstrate that he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus is more interested in dealing with our eternal needs I've been in, you, you could go on. I've been involved in seasons where we're going to focus really hard on discipleship and growing in education. And that's, that's appropriate too. We just did it. We just spent four weeks and, and we're at a whole season where we're going to give you equipment to help grow you in how you know and what you know and the Bible. We want you to do that. But I'll tell you what, it's so easy to make discipleship an excuse to not be on mission. I, I forget who it was. I think it was Carrie Newhoff who said, most Christians are a thousand Bible verses overweight. You just need to start with the first one you heard and work that one off for a while. <laughs> we need to share our faith. We need to be activated on mission. My point is this. God has given the church a mission to see souls saved. And we have got to not just assess whether or not we are on point, but we have got to fight that tendency at every turn in every new season to say, okay, is the main thing the main thing? Are we accomplishing the one thing that Jesus asked us to accomplish or have we become about some other things and now we are no longer functioning as the church? We exist to see souls saved. Okay, that sounds right. That sounds great. But I want to give you three reasons why we exist to, to see souls saved. You have, if you have notes, I want you to take these. These are, these are important realities for our family. Seeing souls saved. That's a lot of S's. Seeing souls saved is our mission, first and foremost, here it is, for the sake of our God. The chief end of man is to bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. 
The Westminster Catechism said that. And we believe that, but the way that you bring glory to God is by sharing his heart and becoming like him and doing what he said. I'm a father and my kids will honor me when I, when I ask them when I leave and say, son, daughter, I want you to clean your room. When I get back, I hope the room's clean. Well, they could do a hundred things, but if they didn't do the one thing I asked them, they dishonor me, correct? We honor God. Here, here's the reality. Mission to see souls saved is the heart of God. Ever wonder what God wants? Ever wonder what God's interested in? I believe it was Dell back in the spring just preached an incredible message on this very question. What does God want? God wants that every person, every person, every soul with a breath, with lungs, with life, with a heartbeat, God's desire is to see every one of his creations, his children return to him and be reconciled to him and have eternal life. That's what God wants. He wants that more than stopping hurricanes. Even though he doesn't want disaster, he wants that more than healing bodies. He wants that more than us being biblically educated. He wants the world to know that Jesus saves and to repent and turn to him. That's what God wants. Souls saved, get this, tweet this, write this down. Souls saved is our mission because it's God's mission. So seeing people come to life in Christ is our mission because that is the mission of God. And if we are the people of God, we have embraced the mission of God. Amen? Amen. That is God's heart, so it's our heart. Don't say you love God if you don't love what he loves. We can't say that we are the people of God if we don't model what God did. Since the day that sin entered creation, since the day that death entered creation, if you read your Bible and you go through it, what do you see? You see God in search of humanity. You see the story of God who created everything. God who created humans in his image to bear his image, to be his living representation on this earth and that we would, in intimacy with him, experience life and joy and eternal life. We were never meant to die. Hurricanes, disasters, funerals, disease, death, that was never part of God's original plan. And yet, because of man's disobedience, sin entered the world and caused a fracture in our relationship. It disconnected us from holy God, God who is life in and of himself. It disconnected us from life and death entered the story. But if you read from Genesis 3 on, what do you see? Right in Genesis 3, immediately, as soon as Adam and Eve, the Bible says, as soon as they ate of the fruit that God commanded them not to eat of, they recognized and realized they were naked. They realized something was horribly wrong. And then you see what? You see God says, and, and God came and he said, where are you? And the whole rest of the Bible is this story of God reconciling, reconnecting his creation. That's what it is. The whole Old Testament runs up into Jesus who is the very reconciliator. He is the one who bridged the gap and paid the price and caused the way, created the way for us to come back and to know God. Redemption, rescue is the heart of God. God's heart for the world is to see souls saved. This is the story of God saving people. When you read your Bible, before you read it from a, you know what, this can help me in my life, which it can. Before you read it from a, this is the truth, which it is. 
You need to read it as this is God's story of how he redeemed and restored and reconciled all things. So the Bible is. The Bible is a story of how God got his broken creation back and how he is getting it back. And we'll get to that in a second. You find in Matthew and Mark, you find in the Gospels, Jesus. What was the mission of Jesus? Did you ever notice, does it ever perplex you when you read about the Gospels, those of you who have, and you read Jesus and you find that there were times, did you know, like he was healing people and doing amazing miracles? Jesus did not heal everyone. It's not that he couldn't, it's that he didn't. Why? Because he had a, had a task that he was holding on to. The Bible says that there, he would leave towns and they didn't want him to leave, but he had to leave. Why? He was heading to Jerusalem. He was heading to accomplish his mission. He was heading to do the one thing that God sent him to do. Jesus said at one point, they asked him, why are you here? And he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but, but serve and to give his life as ransom for the many. I have come to die. Another time he said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. Listen, we, we, we have got to get, to get back as the church to that simple old gospel that says, the world is lost and going to hell. That's a reality. If we read our Bible, that's what the Bible says. So we either believe what it says or we don't. The mission of God, the mission of Jesus was to save people. This is what Jesus tried to explain. And if you ever read Luke, Luke 15, Jesus goes on record like, Jesus, what is, what's God like? What's the kingdom like? And he uses parables and he says, well, uh, you could understand God like, uh, you know, like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of the sheep got away and, and he loved that sheep so much that he left the 99 to go and find that sheep. And when he found that sheep, he had so much joy. Uh, Jesus said, maybe, maybe that doesn't help you. Maybe this will help you. You're not a shepherd. Uh, it was like, it was like a, a woman who had this priceless, precious coin and she lost it in her home and she couldn't find it anywhere. She turned the home upside down until she found it and then she found it and she was filled with great joy. That's what God's like. He's, he's trying to find something that is lost. That's us. He says, maybe that didn't help you. Maybe this will help you. It's like, it's like a father who had two sons and one of the sons just denied him and despised him and ran off into a faraway land and just shamed his dad. And one day that son realized, I have dishonored my father and I am returning to him. And, and Jesus said, it's kind of like a father waiting for his son to return home. And that when he saw him, he ran to him and fell on his neck and received him and kissed him and hugged him. It's like that, like God wants, God wants creation like a father longs for a lost son. That's, that's what God's heart is. God is on a mission to see people return to him. This is what John was trying to say. In John 3, 16, many of you heard this. We'll have it on the screen. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, we, we gloss over that sometimes. If you heard that so many times, you, you lose, you, it can lose its kind of punch. He gave his son. What kind of passion and what kind of love would drive someone to offer something so precious. That's the heart of God for lost people. So when we as the church, when we don't care about people who are lost, we undermine the sacrifice God made for them. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, this world needs Jesus. That's what this says. There are words in here like perish, like condemn, like unless you know Jesus, that is your destiny. When we lose sight of the mission to see people saved from death, sin, and hell, when we lose sight of the weight of it and the urgency of it, we have lost the heart of God. Seeing souls saved. Do you ever think about this? That's why we're here as believers. That's why we're still here. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I mean, there are three hurricanes happening in the Caribbean right now. It's wild to even fathom being in that. There, are, there was an earthquake this week. Uh, half the world's on fire. Like, and then you get your own, in your own life. Like this week, we, we said goodbye to my uncle who's 64 years old. Uh, you ever notice life's hard? You ever notice the world is a broken, busted place? And just when you start to think you're comfortable, like something happens in your life. You ever notice that? And you ever have that feeling as a Christian where you're like, okay, God, like, make it stop. You ever felt like that? Like, God, come. Like, what, what do we believe? We believe that Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus is going to return in full authority, in full visibility. He's going to vanquish the enemy. He's going to rid death entirely. The Bible says he's going to just completely restore and recreate the earth. He's going to raise us up. It is the ultimate story of we will live happily forevermore. Like that's what the Bible says. And so you ever wonder, like, what are you waiting for? Like, why doesn't God just come back and put us out of our misery? Why doesn't he just spare us of the suffering? There is so much suffering in this world. And if he can just come back and bring the armies of heaven and just recreate and restore everything, then why doesn't he come back? Do you ever wonder that? Here's why. He's waiting to save people. Because the minute he comes back, it's over. And if you are not on the line of faith that says, Jesus is Lord, you stand condemned. And so I just, God, God is like, I've been thinking about this all week. Like, is he holding back the armies of heaven who are locked and loaded and ready to come in and destroy injustice and pain and rape and shame and addiction and racism, natural disasters? Is he holding that back? Say him one more day. Let's give, let's, give, let's give him another day. Let's just see if we can save some more. Let's just see if we can just get a few more saved. Because if, if, if we come, it's too late. So uh, I was thinking of, uh, you see that movie? It was, it was quite awesome, actually. Hacksaw Ridge, did you see that movie? It's a story about this guy, Desmond Doss, who like just was this war hero and it was this battle scene and everyone was evacuating because they got their butts kicked in this battle and all of these, all of his fellow soldiers were like all over the battlefield, wounded and dying. And as the Americans were retreating, Desmond Dawes with no weapon just like kept going back for one more and he kept saying, just give me one more, just give me one more. And I was thinking, is that the heart of God? Just, just give me one more. I don't want to see anybody 
not be saved. Look, look what Peter puts it like this, 2 Peter 3. Peter says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So time is different, but here's, here it is. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's not forgotten. He's not waiting around. Instead, he is patient with you. Why? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with the roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. See, this is our mission. This is why we're here. This is why we're still here. And so every day when we see a hurricane, every day when you bury someone that you love, every day when the doctor's report doesn't come back the way you wanted, you're reminded, why is God letting this go on? Because we are on a mission to see people saved. There are still people out on the battlefield that we need to go get and rescue. There is a reason our, as we sing, good, good father lets this earth continue to spin in pain. Now, I'm not all doom and gloom, and you know, I, I believe God's blessings are to be experienced in the land of the living, and God's so good, and there's so much good in this world, but do you ever wonder, like, why, why is this, why is this, doesn't he fix everything? If he can, why? That's why. Because his heart is to see every person on earth come to know Jesus, who is salvation. And unless they come to Jesus, there is no other way but through Jesus. Number two is this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurry. Number two, the reason seeing souls saved is our mission is for the sake of our world. See, it's not just the heart of God, but it's actually the call of the church. All believers to see that all people in all places experience the life-saving power of King Jesus. Church, we have been given a task, a charge the church has. And it's amazing how quickly we can lose sight of that in setting up our own little kingdom and in setting up our churches and rituals and religion. And, you know, uh, we should, it should be a big church. It should be a small church. I want a host church. I want some rituals. God just wants you to save people. God has made the way for salvation in Jesus. And here's what he did. He commissioned us to tell and show the world that Jesus saves who, me? Yeah, you. If, if, if you are a believer, you are a missionary. You're like, well, when do I take the course? You didn't. Here's what you do. You say, yesterday I wasn't a believer. Today I'm a believer. Jesus saved my life. I'd like to tell you about him. And that's all you got to know. In the Bible, Jesus actually said, don't worry about what you're going to say to people. All the Holy Spirit will give you the words. If you are not a believer, you're the mission field. And let me just say, full disclosure, we want you to believe because we want you to know that Jesus saves. We want you to come into salvation, life now and forever. But if you are a believer, you are a missionary. Do you think of that? Like at your job, you're there as a missionary? Do you think about that? Like as, as a mom, you're a missionary to those kids? You're a missionary to your neighbors? Every believer, this is what we have been tasked with. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said this to his disciples, therefore go and make churches, make clubs where people do the things that are Christian-y. 
No, go and make really big churches. Or no, go and make a real grassroots house church movement. No, just go and make disciples. Stop complicating it. Sorry, I'm a little, yeah. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Acts 1.8, Jesus said it again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus tells us we're gonna get power. Why? So that we can impress people? Hey, kazah, be healed. No, so that we can show the kindness and power of God in the land of the living so that they will say, Jesus saves. Jesus healed me. And if he healed my body, he wants to heal my heart. He wants to heal my life. Acts 13 47, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles. I have made you a light to St. John. I have made you a light to Quispam Sis. I've made you a light to the school you go to. I've made you a light that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the job of the church. It's our call. Matthew 9, Jesus said this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go and send out workers into his harvest field. You get that? What's Jesus praying for? He's praying for the church to rise up and work the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. There are people everywhere. Pick a spot. Where do I go? Let's just go out the door. There's someone walking down the street right now. God's prayer is that the church would rise up. Here's a question I'd ask you. How do you see people? Do you see them as lost, dying, in need of saving? Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we no longer see people from a worldly perspective. We don't see people that way anymore. We see people that are God's property and they don't even know it. How do you see your purpose in life? God has put us on this earth to work the harvest it's actually on us. Paul said it best. This, is, this, this has been ringing in my spirit all week. Romans 10, 13. Look at this verse. Let's bring it up. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. Just call upon him. Do anything. Jesus saves. It's such good news, isn't it? I'll talk more about it next week of why it's good news. Verse 14. How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? He's saying our job is to open our mouths, open our lives up to tell of the good news that Jesus saves. That is your job. If you still have breath, that is your job. That is your mandate. I want you to feel the pressure. I want me to feel the pressure. I, I want God to break my heart so I kind of stop looking at people as oh, I'll talk to them later. I wish I loved them more. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And so we have been called to actually work the harvest. May ever grow up on a farm? Anybody? Know your audience. Nobody at King's Church. <laughs> grew up on a farm. My suspicion is after you grow your crop, it doesn't pick itself. It takes work. 
And so we as the church, we actually have work to do. Roll up your sleeves, pay the price, lay down your life work to actually see people come to know Jesus. And so we as a church right now, we are stepping into a new season. And I just want to declare it. This is the harvest season. I'll I'll catch you up really quick. In, In spring of 2016, We launched a vision called Move where we felt God was calling us to reach out and see more people come to Jesus than ever before and that we could no longer be comfortable and no longer stay and no longer sit on the resources God has given us, but we needed to double down and have a vision big enough for the season we are in. And so we decided to step out in faith and we're gonna plant churches all over the Maritimes and we just stepped out and you responded. And here's what we have been doing for the last year and a half. We have been in a season of sowing Get this, for some of you who are just joining us, millions of dollars have been given towards this. And we have been in a season of preparation where countless hours of prayer and work has been done to get us ready for this fall and this season we are about to enter in as a church. Because here's something I know to be true. You actually have to be prepared to handle the harvest when it comes. You actually have to have the tools in order to work the harvest. And so we have spent the last year and a half preparing. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we haven't done a whole lot as a church other than working on who we are as a church. Last fall, I spent 10 weeks talking about what we, what we value, strengthening our culture, strengthening our core. All spring, again, we talked about things that are more unique to us to prepare us to be ready and equipped to deal with what we're about to step into as a church right now in this season of harvest where we are now about to launch this fall on October 14th and 15th. We are in the same day going to launch two campuses. Now, what's a campus? It's a gathering spot. It's a spot that the church gathers for strength and we bring other people to be a part of this movement. And so on October 14th and 15th, we're gonna launch a campus in Halifax. Pastor Seth has been there with his wife and a team that has been growing every week. It is so exciting. But I'll tell you something, it's about to happen. It's about to get real, October 14th and 15th. And we're going to launch a, a site or a campus on the west side of St. John on October 14th and 15th. And we are declaring this a season of harvest. It's a season of harvest, a season of invitation. I'm going to do something from a preaching standpoint. Beginning October 14th and 15th, I am going to intentionally open the window between then and Christmas where I will be preaching messages specifically geared towards your friends and family who are still searching. We don't very often do that. We haven't done that. In my tenure here, we haven't spent a prolonged season saying, okay, here is a window where we are calling on you to bring your friends to church so we can tell them about Jesus. But that's what we're going to do all fall. We are going to invite till we're blue in the face. We're going to drive people to church. And we're going to attend on purpose. Here's what I can't escape. Jesus held nothing back for our salvation. What price are we willing to pay to see someone else come to Jesus? And so I'm going to ask you a few things as a church I'm asking, you should grab one of these cards. It should be on your seat. You guys in the East as well. Online, I don't know if we have that there. We can get a place online if it's not there already. But in uh, four weeks' time, uh, on September 30th and October 1st, we're going to have a weekend of response to this mission. We're going to continue to talk. I'm going to tell you some more things. But in the the weeks to come, here's what I'm going to ask each of you to do. 
I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God, Lord, in my region where you have planted me as a missionary, where I live, where would you like me to start serving? How would you like me to start using my talents and my ability or availability to start serving the mission of God? I'm going to ask everybody to consider serving if you're not serving. I'm going to, here's a harder one. I'm going to ask us to be missionaries like never before within the city of St. John. We're going to launch a campus on the west side. And I'm going to ask some of you who attend the valley, some of you who attend east, to uproot your family and plant yourself on the west side. Why? Because it's convenient? Because kids' ministry center is better? Because the stage looks cooler? No. Because you might actually be able to reach someone far from God. And I'm going to ask our whole church to spend the whole fall inviting people, bringing people to church, carpooling, making arrangements, paying for taxis, paying bus fare to get people to church all the way to Christmas where we are going to see hundreds of people come to know Jesus. I'm believing it. And so for the next few weeks, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to ask God, Lord, am I actually serious about your mission? And if I'm not, am I actually serious about you? And I want you to ask him, say, Lord, I will go where you send me. I'll go, I'll invite who you want me to invite. I'll reach out, I'll swallow my pride, I'll humble myself, and I will do what you ask me to do. I want our whole church to go into a quick time of prayer for the next few weeks because we're about to launch into this season like never before. And I want you to ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have my family do? And then I want you to do what he says. Here's my goals. Here's what I'm believing for, the harvest goals. I'm believing for 100 to 150 people to join the team at West St. John, right out of this church, before anybody in West St. John even attends. I'm praying for somewhere between 100 and 150 people to say, I will go. Between October and the end of December, I'm just asking for that window to start. Give God that season, and I'm asking for 100 to 150 people to consider joining West by attending there. I'm asking for 50 to 100 more people to consider going into our east location. I'm asking and I'm believing for four to 500 new people to attend our church this fall across all campuses. Do you think God can do it? Here's a better, que- here's a better question. You think we can do it? That's what, God's a- that's what God's asking. God's saying, hey, don't put me on the hook. It's your job to get people to church. You think we can do it? I'm believing that this fall we are going to see more people attend our church than ever before. And because of that, more people come to faith than ever before. On October 14th and 15th, it's going to be what we call launch day. And it's going to be a day where we begin this season where we launch our two new campuses. But we're also going to do something. We're going to have an event uh, that is just geared towards bringing new people to church. We're going to have the craziest bouncy castles that kids have ever seen. We're going to have every type of, you know, fall thing. I, I tried to get bobbing for apples cleared, but I guess it's like not okay anymore. But we're going to have cool fall things. This world, what's this world come to anyway? Like you can't bob for apples or one, one person was talking back in a creative meeting that they used to have Bible drills where you get zapped with an electrocution, like with you got it wrong. Like, yes, we need a little more of that. We're not going to electrocute your friends if you bring them to church, I promise. But there'll be pies and fun and food and fellowship. It's just going to be geared and make it easy for you to say, come to church. We're not going to weird you out. We just want you to come. We want you to hear about this hope that we have. So on October 14th, 15th, you're going to start hearing more about it. It's called the Fall Festival. Sure. 
and we're just going to have a party, a fall party. And I am believing for somewhere between 1,700 and 2,000 people to attend that. That's a lofty goal. We've been about 1,200 people through the summer, not even, 1,000 to 1,200. So we've, we've got to do some work. But that's what I'm believing for. And I am believing for over 3,000 people to attend our Christmas services. So that, that is what we are doing this season. It is harvest season. And here's the deal. It, the world depends on it. I'm not overstating this. This region depends on our, us as a church, activating ourselves, paying the price to see people far from God come to know Jesus. Final reason is this, and I'm going to let you go. Last reason that seeing souls saved is our priority and our mission is this. It's for the sake of ourselves. Here's a reality that I sometimes don't think we take seriously. Our eternity is affected by what we do with our lives. You say, no, no, it's by grace you have been saved. Amen. Your salvation is not an issue of your performance. It's an issue of the blood of Jesus. All, all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. But the Bible says there is reward for how you live your life. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 7, he says, listen, don't, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Do not waste your money by investing it in your RSP solely. Don't just waste it on stuff. Don't waste it on that house. Invest in the kingdom. And how do you do that? You see souls saved. You spare no expense to see souls saved. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Probably the most difficult or sobering message that Jesus gave was in Matthew, I think, 25. And he's in this whole dialogue about the end and when he returns and he gave this parable called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. And he said, it's like this when I return, it's gonna be like this. Um, it's like a master who gave three servants bags of gold to the one he gave one, one bag of gold, to the other he gave two, to the other he gave five. Why does God give some more than others? We don't know, but he does. But then he says the, ma the master went away for a long time. And then when he came back, he called them to account and asked, what did you do with what I gave you? And he said, first, the one with five came and says, master, I went and I returned and I invested what you gave me. And I brought back five more bags. Here are 10. And Jesus says, they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You may enter into my joy. And he said, and to the one that had two, he came back and he said, Master, I had two and I invested all of it and I was able to bring you four. And Jesus said, and, I, and the master will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. And then he said, but there was the one who had one. And he said that he went away and he buried his talent. He squandered his wealth. And when he came back to the master, he said, I, I, I thought I brought you back your one talent. And Jesus says, away from me, you wicked servant. You see, Jesus tells us this truth about the end, that you will be held accountable for this life, but he wants more for you than just being afraid. He wants you to understand that when you invest your life in seeing people come to know Jesus, you will experience the joy of that forever and ever and ever and ever, and you will not regret it. I was reminded of that this week, as I alluded to earlier, uh, my uncle David uh, passed away this week. And uh, he was 64 years old. Cancer. 
I drove up to see him as he was dying in the hospital in Moncton. I drove up uh, Monday night. And those of you who don't know who my uncle David, he was, he's a, a longtime pastor within our denomination. In fact, he was our, our denominational leader in our region for a number of years. And in fact, in the most difficult season of my ministry and life, he was my leader who offered a hand to me and just held me through it. And so I went up to see him uh, as he was dying and he wasn't really responsive at that time. And I went up Monday night and his family had gathered around. Our whole family was there, his sons and their wives and the grandkids and just, you know, a lot of hope, but a lot of pain. And they, some, one of his sons and wife had gone in and had spent a few minutes because he'd opened his eyes and it had been a while since he'd opened his eyes and he was just making some eye contact. He was very, very weak, very close to death. And uh, they came out and so it was my turn to go in and see him. And I, I went in and saw, I went in and I went in the room and there he was just weak, just breathing was difficult. And you know how that is if you've ever been around. It's brutal to watch. But I walked in towards him and he... Uh, He opened his eyes and he extended his hand to me. I got to back up. On the way there, I was praying and saying, God, like, what? we know you're not going to heal him. We've been asking around the clock for five years. So God, just give him peace. And I was praying and I felt God speak something to my spirit so very clearly. He said, reward, reward. This is his reward, and he is about to get his reward for a life where he gave everything he has to the church, to the mission of God, to see people far from God come to know Jesus. He gave his whole life to it, and you are seeing a man take his last breath and step into his reward where he will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. And so I went into that room, and he opened his eyes and held up his hand and took my hand and shook it. He shook my hand at my wedding, shook my hand at my ordination, but this one was the most meaningful. And this Holy Spirit, I think, or whether it was him with mind bullets or something, but I think it was the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, live for this moment that the day that you draw your last breath, you know you aren't entering into fear, you are entering into your, your reward and you held nothing back in your life. That's the call. Our inheritance and our reward has everything to do with how you invest your life. So let me just ask this question before I pray and we're gonna respond. God has given you a lot. You live in North America. God did not bless you for your comfort. The cross was not comfortable. God blessed you to be a blessing. And God trusts us to recognize that earthly wealth and earthly riches fade away. But when I take those talents and I invest them in seeing other people come to know Jesus, that lasts forever and ever. For whose sake are you living your life? We exist so that all people in all places 
come to know the saving power of King Jesus. We have been sent out to earnestly declare and demonstrate the good news that Jesus saves. Let's pray. God, forgive us. Those of us who are believers, forgive us, Lord, for the times we've invested more in our own comfort and less in the growth and expanse of the kingdom. And God, I pray for every person who calls King's Church home. Lord, I pray that this season would indeed be a harvest season, not because we're waiting on you to move, but God, because we actually got up and we swung the tools you gave us to actually go and see people come to Jesus. Lord, would you open our eyes? Would we, like you said to your disciples, open your eyes, see the fields are white unto harvest. Lord, would you open our eyes that at work, Lord, at our jobs, on the way to work, Lord, in the mall, at the car dealership, in the funeral home, Lord, everywhere we see harvest, we see souls that need Jesus. And God, would you mobilize us and break our hearts, Lord? Would you break our selfishness, Lord? Would you break our self-preservation? And will we model the heart of Jesus who held nothing back so that we could come to know life and life eternal? So God, we just say, use us. Lead us and use us to see St. John reached to see thousands of people in St. John make a decision to say, I need Jesus. I need salvation. Lord, would you use us? Would you use our church? Would, we, would you use us in Halifax? Would we see thousands of people come to know the good news that Jesus saves? Father, we just declare this is a season of harvest, but we're not so naive and so entitled to sit back and say, yeah, God's gonna do it. No, you are asking us to do it. You do the saving, we do the reaping. We do the, harv the harvesting. So God, would you mobilize your church, we pray in this season, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, I wanna just give you a minute to respond. I just feel the Holy Spirit's been working. And this is a heavy thing. It should be heavy, but it should be encouraging. It should mobilize and, and excite you. But the band's gonna sing. And it's gonna sing in at East as well. And I just want you to sit for a minute. Let's keep the lights down. Let's just keep this moment to respond. I want you to hold this card. And I just want you to begin to give God permission to speak to you. God, how do you want me to live on mission? How do you want me to respond to this call and this commission? And then as you feel led, as the song sings, I want you to stand to your feet and you'll hear the words. And I want you to make that your prayer. So you can sing, but first I want you to think and I want you to pray and respond. <laughs> 